Thank you, Pastor Edgar. You know, it's songs like that that makes me wonder sometimes when we sing that lyric, do we, do we know what we're singing? Do we know what we're saying? That, that's a mouthful. I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than, than a bad day. I'd rather have Jesus than burning in hell. But I'd rather have Jesus more than anything. That's a, that's a testimony that we need to hear more of. Well, grab your Bible, and we're going to be in part two of the little postcard that our Bible reads is the book of Jude, a small little book that has great impact for us. Uh, there has been a wonderful solution presented to you tonight. Um, you can sit as far back as you want to. I'm just going to move where I'm going to preach from. And so uh, you may think you've picked the middle row, but I'm going to make it the front row. And that's okay. I won't go too far forward or my wife will just stare in my ear and that'll be awkward for everybody, I guess. But take your Bible and turn to the book of Jude and uh, let's ask God to inspire his word again. You know, when we do this, when we pray, this is not like time filler. Okay, when we pray before we devour God's word, this is biblical. This is asking the Spirit to speak to us. And so don't just listen to me. As, as you pray, whether your eyes are open or closed, as you're looking at the book of Jude, let's ask God to speak to us tonight. Amen? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, uh, I, I thank you for the precious sense of your Spirit we've already uh, been immersed in today. God, I thank you for the obedience, and I thank you for the freedom and the testimonies to joy that you've brought into our heart and, and to how you have been a rock for us in challenging times. And Lord, we give you glory and praise. God, I thank you for the thought-provoking words that we just sang, uh, that, that we would rather have you than anything. Jesus, we declare that you are more than enough tonight for anything that we possibly face. You, you, you are enough. You are overwhelmingly more than enough. And Lord, as we come to your word, we ask that you will help us not just learn stuff or be reminded of stuff, but Lord, would you rearrange the furniture in our heart tonight? Would you begin to make a transformation take place in us as you wash and renew our mind from your word? It's in your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's called a sinkhole syndrome. And Gordon MacDonald recounts this phenomenon that took place a number of years back uh, in the state of Florida. Decades ago, there was uh, some unsuccessful attempts to do some mining underneath the ground in Florida. And that sandy soil in the northern part of the state, they tried to do some mining and it wasn't very successful. And this project was soon abandoned, and eventually, businesses and houses built up over this very valuable land in this state. But over the years, even though the soil on the surface seemed to be normal, the water table began to erode away the remaining soil, and people began to wake up, and they would find huge sinkholes in their street. Or they would find portions of their house that have fallen down to the ground or even reported some whole buildings were just missing when they would wake up the next morning. There was something underneath eroding the foundation or a lack of something there rather and it was being washed out and the houses and the streets would come crumbling down. You know, I've discovered this sinkhole syndrome is, is not just something that plagued 
the state of Florida and other areas, but it's something that happens in our spiritual life. The same effect can happen to us when we get into a slump and we begin to uh, get into these kind of moving slow moments in our walk with God. And if we're not careful, we can allow the greatest deterrent to our faith to take place. It's not some kind of explosive action that does the most damage to most of us. It's the erosion, the slow yet steady removing of the foundation that God wants us to have. We talked about some of those foundational principles uh, last Sunday night, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. This is a subtle change. It doesn't happen all at once, but just piece by piece, different parts of our faith are eroded and washed away. Seasons of life bring a welcome change for us. At first, it's just a welcome change of pace. Maybe it's summer, or maybe it's uh, the kids are at a different stage of life, and, and we find ourselves in new seasons of life, and we adopt a new pattern. And, and if we're not careful, the important disciplines spiritually begin to wane and waver, and they begin to erode away at the faith structure that God has been building in us. We begin to see that we would experience changes that we wouldn't think would happen to us. Maybe someone else, but not us. And, and pretty soon we even start compromising our values. It's so subtle, so gradual, that we don't perceive it until we wake up one morning and spiritually there's a whole room of our house that's just collapsed in. We wake up and there's a whole pathway spiritually of our life that is just caved in and, and we're not sure what happened, but this was not something that happened quickly. It was over time. We discover how far we have drifted from God. This is at the heart of Jude in his book that he's written to us, talking about the erosion that takes place of truth and faith in our life. As we observed last week, our greatest threat is not characterized by these explosions, but it's the erosion that I talked about just a second ago that leads to this devastating strategy that the enemy brings against us. He knows if he can just get the foundation shifted just enough that when the storm comes, it will challenge our faith in a way that things begin to crumble around it. To varying degrees, this sinkhole syndrome can affect all of us. We all experience a spiritual slump from time to time. But we don't want to stay in a slump. We want to move to a surge spiritually. And, and we don't want to stay in a place where, where we just are falling backwards and there's erosion taking place. We want to move forward in what God has for us. Jude reminds us of the apostles' words and what they have foretold in verse 18. Look at Jude, verse 18. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. It's a sure sign that you're in a spiritual slump when you are governed more by the natural instincts and passions of yourself and people around you than by the very Spirit of God. We talked about that this morning, that the early church was, was motivated and moved by the very Spirit of God. It wasn't by man. It wasn't by the popular opinion of the day. And yet, here there's a warning. In the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires and will encourage you to do the same. Be careful. Watch out. Whether that desire comes from within you or from someone else, what is driving the passions of your life? Is it the Spirit or your own instinct? Your own fleshly desire. 
If that's where you find yourself, then we need to press in together to the message God has for us tonight. To move from a spiritual slump to a surge in the Spirit. This little postcard that God has given us reminds us of three things that we are called to do and three things that He promises to do. We're going to look at those six together tonight. Let's first look at our part, what God is calling us to do through this book. In verse 20, let's, let's read it together. I'm going to read aloud. You read along with me. But you, dear friends... Build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. The first part there, jot down, is, is we are called to build ourselves up. Build up your faith. Now Jude isn't just talking about working yourself up to some kind of belief. He isn't advocating this power of positive thinking. He is talking to us about These deposits of truth, the faith that we hang on to, the the truth from God's word that is a foundation for our life. Build up that foundation in your life. Build up the foundation of the principles that God has given us in his word. It's the very gospel. It's the good news. It's our foundation. It affects every part of our life. Let me briefly remind you what we talked a little bit about last week, some of these key foundations. We believe... Scripture is clear about one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that all Scripture is inspired of God and contains all truth necessary for salvation and daily obedient living. We believe that every person is born a sinner and needs the work of Jesus Christ to set them free from sin. We believe that God loves every person and has made provision for their salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. These are foundational things, not about your favorite color of carpet, not about your favorite song, but things about Jesus and how it impacts everything else that we believe. It's a foundational truth that we have to build our faith upon. We believe those who do not repent will be lost forever. Those who choose not to follow Jesus are condemned to eternity away from God. We believe that the gift of God's Spirit is given to enable us to live this life victoriously, a holy life. And this gift is to be received by faith. We believe that Jesus will return and the dead will be raised and everyone will stand before God at final judgment. These are foundational beliefs and it's not new to us. It's not just unique to us. This is what the apostles were hanging on to. And Jude says, build up your faith. Build your faith. Make sure the foundation is strong. Inspect it. Before you go building homes and businesses over land that has these sinkholes ready to happen underneath, Look at what you're building your life on. Now, every religion has some kind of statement of faith or belief of some degree. But what makes the Christian faith so unique is these two factors. One, it's not man-made. It is the only faith that is God-given. Others may have other claims, but we know the truth. It is the only one that is God-given. It's not an option. It's not just choose your own ending and maybe this will fit you. This is divine revelation from God. It's not guesswork. It's certainty. And second, what makes this core doctrine of faith so different from any other faith is that it has the power to change hearts and lives of those who follow Jesus. There's real transformation that is there. We talked about the early church seeing a transformed power of God in their life. And they begin to 
talk differently and act differently and respond to people differently. Peter, 60 days before, denies Jesus, and then after, he is proclaiming the good news, and thousands of people are coming to know him. Because Peter's so good? No, because God changed him and set him apart for his use. It's this foundational faith that should bring about change in our life. Friend, if your life has not been radically changed, stop calling yourself a Christian. I'm not trying to get on your case. This is for Brady, too. If there is not radical life change, not in our flesh, I don't mean you're not disciplined enough or you're not trying hard enough. I mean, if if God has not brought about change in your life, one of two things are happening. You either don't know him and you're not even following him or you're holding back in sin. Because if you submit to God, he will bring about change in you. Now, it's not always the change that we want to see. It's not always the things that we want to have happen. But he changes us. He chisels away at us the things that don't look like him. And he molds and shapes us into the men and women he's called us to be. It's this faith, this truth that we are to build our life on that should bring about change in us that Jude is talking about. I believe this is one of the greatest threats to the church in America today. It's this gap between what we say we believe and how we live. The greatest threat to the church is not an economic threat. It's not a generational threat. It's the gap between what we say we believe and how we actually live our life. That gap not only robs us of the power of God, it destroys our witness as well. Friends, I hope this can move beyond a slogan. There is nothing more attractive to anyone in the world than a body of believers who are in a selfless community serving Jesus with reckless abandon. It's, it's amazing. It's appetizing. It's it's contagious. You you got to have more of that. You don't have to convince people and twist their arm or, or try to help them just get a little bit of dose of God first. There may be a place, and by all means, we'll reach all people by all possible means, and, and we'll do that. But, but let's stop trying to strategize to help God as much as saying, God, do what you want in me. Maybe you have an idea of how to build your own church. Maybe you have an idea of how to transform a life beyond what I could put together in some kind of programmatic fix. God, Can you do that? Build your faith on the truth of who Jesus is and how that impacts our life. So it's not just knowing something. It it needs to sink to our heart. And it's not just a heart knowledge. It should then move out to our hands and feet. And this gap between what we say we believe and how we talk and how we act and where we go and what we do should change. Without a doubt, the most convincing evidence of Christ's resurrection was the changed lives of the disciples. And for us today, the most convincing evidence that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life is still the same method by the changed life in us of the believers. Jude reminds us that this doesn't happen automatically. He admonishes us, build yourself up in your most holy faith. That's what the Apostle Paul had in mind when he said, work out your salvation. Not work for your salvation, not earn it, but work out your salvation. This is to 
build your life upon the truth of the gospel. Once you've received this free gift by faith, there's a responsibility that we have in making sure that this is the foundational core of who we are. Someone has observed that building a faith without prayer is like building a house without nails. I don't claim to be a carpenter. I've built many houses. I've worked on projects. I was mainly the gopher. Go get this and do that because you don't have much skill to do those things. But imagine a house that's built with no nail, with no screw, with with nothing to hold it together. It, It crumbles. It falls. And we see that this call to pray and to press in is what holds together the faith that we are called to build up. I want to ask you today, how is your prayer life? Is it holding together the foundation of your faith? As we talked this morning, do you spend most of your time praying I and me prayers? Or is there room to say, God, what do you have? What do you want? God, I want to see more of you take place in my life. Powerful, upbuilding prayer begins and ends with him, with his plan, his agenda, his glory, his grace, his guidance, his provision, not our timing, our thoughts, our desires. When you get there, it's not some kind of journey you've got to work your way up to, but when you surrender to the fact that he knows more than you know, and when you call out in prayer and say, Jesus, help me pray, something begins to take place, and we begin to pray in the power of the Spirit. This is greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and the one who is in me is guiding even my heart in prayer. How's your prayer life? Are you pleased with it? Isn't it amazing how easy it is to do anything else for an hour other than pray? Think about it. When you sit down to pray, if you decide, I'm going to pray for an hour, I'm going to pray for a half hour, for 15 minutes, just go back to the last time you thought about that, whether it was today or last week or a month or a year ago or 10 years ago, how easy it was to think of all the things you didn't do. Uh, This is not part of the message, but this is free. This is extra. Just jot this down in the margin. You know... Here's a great tool. When you're praying, keep a blank sheet of paper next to you. It's not some super spiritual thing, but this helps me tremendously. Whenever I start to pray, that's when I remember I did not move over the load of clothes in the washer. And they're going to spoil. And I don't like that. It smells nasty. I don't want to do that. And it was my turn to do some laundry, and and this isn't going to be good. So I'm going to jot down. I forgot to move over the clothes from the washer to the dryer. Oh, you'll remember, I didn't send that email, or or I didn't do that task at work, or I didn't make that phone call. And the enemy will do anything to grab your attention, to keep you away from praying. Because if you begin to pray in the Spirit, when you're praying not what I want, God, but what you want, this is dangerous. Because it is opening up this foundational power that you're building your life on of who Jesus is in your life. And you're acting on it. And you're faith that you built is not something here and it's not just here now it's starting to come out in all the areas so take some time jot down those distractions and guess what when you're done praying the dishes will still be there the clothes will still be there the email can still be sent that person can still be talked to you can handle that task or that challenge but press in and pray well pastor brady i don't know what to pray about this is awesome you don't have to know what to pray about start by praying scripture 
Well, I don't know what that means. Just take, take your favorite passage of Scripture and pray over it. Well, what do you mean? Pray the Psalms. Pray Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Jesus, I come to you now. And as I read in Psalm, it says, you are my shepherd, David says. Would you be my shepherd? Jesus, I don't even know if I know what it means for you to be my shepherd, but would you show me what it means? And then you move to the next phrase, and you pray through that. And you, you pray, and you know what you'll find? As you begin to pray through that passage of Scripture, God will breathe on something. And you get to the part in that psalm where it says, and he makes me lie down in green pastures. And something begins to happen inside. Jesus, I want to pray this psalm, but I really would like you not to make me do anything. I really like you to just bring me green pastures. Don't make me lay down. Ever remember a time in your life when you didn't want to take a nap and someone forced you to take a nap? My nana used to tell me that on Sunday afternoon you have to sleep for an hour. And I'd lay there and look at her clock that had those numbers that would flip and just stare at it and just couldn't wait for the hour to pass by. I don't like being made to lay down somewhere. But God will make us lie down in green pastures. When you pray this, it illuminates in your heart. And and then there's a place where he says... Do you want what I, I want or what you want? Pray in the Spirit. Pray the Scriptures. Well, that's extra. We need to, we need to move on together. Set the alarm clock. There we go. That's a good strategy. I like it. I thought you were talking about my nap with Nana, but you're talking about prayer. That's good. <laughs> Nana's in heaven now, but I'm sure when I get there, she'll force me to take another nap again. Where was I? Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's right. Here we are. Someone else has observed that knees that are knelt on don't knock together in fear. Sometimes we're so fearful of the world that's coming at us when we build up our faith and we begin to pray in that faith and pray in the Spirit, something happens. And, and when I'm kneeling and I'm praying, it's less likely for me to be so ripped with fear throughout my life. Look at verse 21. There's the second thing that we are called to do in building up our faith. And then in verse 21, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. Jot this down. Keep love and hope alive. Did you notice that Jude includes in these verses three great virtues, faith, hope, and love, right here in these two verses. Build yourself up in the holy faith. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the eternal life, the hope of eternal life, if you will. This is what will keep you going and growing during the desert times of your life spiritually. The rough times, the difficult times, the times when you feel like you're in a slump. Whenever I sense that my faith is waning, have you ever sensed that your your faith is is waning a little bit? Just me? Nobody else? You ever feel like discouragement sets in at times or or doubt creeps in or uh, apathy starts to creep in? You have great intentions to have this radical obedience and then you just, ah, let's just... Let's just have lunch first, and then we'll figure out what's next. Well, God, I, I want to do, just hold, as soon as you sense that, the first thing, go love somebody in the name of Jesus. Find somebody who has a greater challenge than you have, and get your eyes off yourself, and start serving them. Keep the love of Jesus alive by giving it to somebody else. There are so many opportunities 
for you to find somebody who desperately needs a hug, who desperately needs an ear to listen to their story, who desperately needs a hand in a project, who, who, who would love to have you there physically with them. Find somebody to love on. When you feel that, that that is getting dry and crusty, intentionally look, who can I love on in the name of Jesus today? And second, God often does this to me. He calls me to remind myself of his faithfulness in the past. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my lips. This is a powerful verse, and and I recite that often when I need to be reminded. This is one of those times I need to bless his name again. I will bless him at all times. He is faithful from one generation to the next. He has never, ever been late. He has never, ever messed up. God never said, oops, I missed that. God is there with you every time. God doesn't cause all things to happen. God is not pleased with everything that happens in a sinful, fallen world, but he can take even that stuff and bring about his divine plan if we let him. Keep love and hope alive. What is our part? Build your faith. Not conjure up what you hope and muster to think. Build your faith. These deposits of truth from God's word. Build on the centrality of who Jesus is. Don't let anything erode that away from your life. And keep love and hope alive. When we begin to see that giving is greater than receiving, it begins to change us. And third, be a soul winner. Be a soul winner. Look at verse 22 and 23. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, who show, to others show mercy Mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. We're going to unpack this verse here together, but let's, let's start at the first part of this. It's a call to be a soul winner. The surest way I know to get myself out of a spiritual slump and into a surge spiritually is to share the love of Jesus with somebody else. I don't want to embarrass you, but I, I want to give you an opportunity to testify to God's work in your life. How many of you... Sometime in your life, you have shared your faith. You have told somebody about Jesus. You've led someone to Jesus. Maybe you have presented the gospel and they didn't receive Jesus. But, but you have shared your faith specifically one way or another. You've done that sometime in your life. Just raise your hand. And if you haven't, don't be, don't be sad about it. It's okay. Raise your hand. There is nothing more exhilarating than when you know God has used you to give faith to somebody else. Be a soul winner. Friends, we need to be reminded that when somebody rejects Jesus, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And sometimes we get so afraid to to share our faith, and and Satan hates it, not only because he doesn't want us to spread Jesus to someone else, but he knows what it does in our heart. It infuses us with the joy. And and our part is to build our faith, to keep love and hope alive, and to be a soul winner and share Jesus that gets us out of a slump and into a surge. It fights this erosion that can take place in our life spiritually. You see, the most loving thing we can do is to share the love of Jesus with a friend. That's our part, but what's God's part? Let's move on to verse 24 and look at God's part. Verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
That first part there, God has promised he will keep us from falling. Now, this word falling is used both uh, ways here of, of a sure-footed horse that does not stumble and also a man who does not incur error. It doesn't mean that you'll never make a mistake or you'll never blow it or, or, or make a wrong choice. What it means is if you're honest with your faults and, and you begin to honor God in every area of your life, it won't thwart God's plan in your life as long as you keep your conscience clear before Him. He will keep you from falling if you're obedient to Him. There are times when, when I'm in a spiritual slump and, and I remember that it is His strength, His power through me that keeps me from falling. Now, it, it, being filled with God's Spirit, as we talked about this morning and talked about last week, it, it is not impossible for us to be disobedient. If I'm sanctified holy, it doesn't mean it's impossible for me to sin. It means that it's possible through the power of the Spirit for me to rest on His power, not mine. It's possible for me not to sin. I can live victoriously and not have to be stuck in that trap of nastiness. But let's remember, it is God's power that keeps us from falling. It's not our own mustered up willpower. We have a part to be obedient, but He keeps us from falling if we live in obedience to Him. Second, present You without fault. This phrase without fault means blameless or spotless. It's a term used in the Old Testament for a perfect offering to God. Remember, it's God's part to keep us from falling. As we depend on His strength, He will give us a way out of every temptation. It's God's part to present us ultimately someday without fault. Now now get this. You and I will never be able to be spotless. Ever. Ever, Joe. Never, ever, ever. We, we will never be able to get to the place where we go, <laughs> now I've arrived. I know you've been watching and I've been doing pretty good. Be ready to be impressed. I've prayed enough. I've given enough. I've served enough. I've believed enough. I'm without fault. Never. It is only by the grace of God that we are made blameless. And when He makes us blameless, who shall bring any charge against those who God has made blameless? He is the one that brings us out of the reprieve, of all, brings us reprieve from all the things that come down on us from sin. Third, what does God do? He presents you with great joy. The preposition here refers back to the subject God. In other words, the joy Jude refers to is in the presenter, not in the presentee. The joy is in God, not necessarily in us. Now, serving God brings about some aspect of joy. When I am freed from the weight of sin, it feels good. When I'm living in obedience and life begins to to move in a healthy direction, it feels good. But my real joy comes in God, not in Myself. Today was another awesome day in worship at Grace Point. We had another fun thing happen after second service. I tried to tell people to go home, but there was a core who wouldn't listen to me. And this is okay. And we stayed. And we lingered in God's presence. And we gathered up at the altar. I don't know, 20, 30 of us would gather and we prayed. And one sister testified that... She is happy in the Lord. Now, these are her words, not mine. She said, I don't know why I had to get so old to know how happy I can be. 
I didn't say she was old. She said that. I didn't say it. She said it. But what she was sharing was there is a joy inside of her that is broader than what she could experience herself. We are presented with great joy. And that is only through God's power in our life. It was fun for me this week to be with my daughter Caden, taking her to school. And uh, there's few things that bring a dad joy, like a conversation that Caden and I had on the way to school. Caden was talking to me about one of her friends at school, and she's been praying to find someone that she can share Jesus with. And, and she shared me the name of this classmate, and, and she said, Dad, do you think she's the one? Do you think she's the one that I've been praying for, that I should tell her about Jesus? And I said, I think so. And I tell you what, in that moment, life was good. When you've been praying for your child to experience the goodness of God, but you've been praying for your child to begin to learn what it means to be obedient to God's lead in their life, it's good. But I want you to hear something. It doesn't even compare to the joy that God has when He sees His children He's created loving and following Him. There is no greater joy than when I get to heaven and I hear my, earth, my heavenly Father say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. And nobody knows more than me at that moment that it's not me that's faithful. It's not me that's good. God, it's you that's faithful. You're the one that is good. There is a joy far deeper than the best thing you can imagine. Amen. Think back to your warmest, most fond, joyful memories with a friend or with a family member. The things that you stash away in your photo album of memories of life. It's kind of like that song, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. It's a good rhyme. I can hear Mark Lowry singing that. It would sound good in a quartet. But do we believe it? Do we really believe that God will bring a joy that is far greater than anything else? If this is true, this passage takes on a whole new perspective for us today. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, and power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore, as Jude signs off. Pastor Brady, what is it we're supposed to catch? God wants to move us from a spiritual slump, most likely not some explosion in your life. Usually the enemy is going to attack you with some kind of erosion plan of eating away at the foundation in your life. Build up your faith. Build up your confidence in the centrality of who Jesus is, what the gospel means to you in your life. Keep love and hope alive. The things that you're building your life on don't stay here. They don't just get stuck here in the mushiness of your heart, but they begin to move out in actions of obedience. Be a soul winner and share Jesus with someone around you. It will move you from the slump, from the desert you find yourself in. It won't remove you from the hard times, but it will move you to a surge spiritually. God has promised He is the one who keeps you from falling. He gives you the way out of temptation. He will present you without fault. He makes you blameless. Who can come after you when you're blameless? He makes you blameless. And finally, He will present you with great 
joy that comes from Him. Heavenly Father, as we chew on another nugget of truth from Your Word tonight, I pray that You allow this, as I often ask, to take root. God, I feel like my words are failing me tonight. Uh, What my heart's desire is that something greater than what we have seen will grow in us at a very significant level. Something more than what we can do in our own strength. Something that is of a supernatural advancement like we talked about this morning. So, Father, I thank you for the instruction you've given to us from Jude. The warning and dangers of the false teaching that can seep into our life. From culture, from skewed leaders, from ourself. We don't like to admit it, but we can be the biggest false teacher, our self-talk. God, we want to do our part in building our faith, the deposits of truth in our life on you. Thank you, Father, that you are the one who gives us the grace and strength to be obedient. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, as we have had a great experience in your presence. Lord, I ask that you would remind us the enemy hates when we get serious about you. So Lord, would you put a bookmarker in all of our minds tonight that when we find ourselves having a disagreement, an argument with maybe even someone in this room, someone in our household, someone at work, that just seems so strange. Where did this come from? God, would you remind us that this is a trap from the enemy? It's a distraction to get us away from what is so dangerous to Satan's world that is so important to your kingdom. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill all of us. Would you give us the power to, with reckless abandon, lift up the name of Jesus in a way that not only transforms us, but by the example of what you do in us, would ignite a fire for everybody in our circle of influence. We pray these things. Jesus, in your name, that sets captives free, in your name, that brings healing, in your name, that is the sole authority that we call ourselves Christians. We're following after you. It's in your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for your heart today. If you haven't soaked in Acts chapter 2 through 5 today, you've got a few hours before you have to go to bed. I'd get soaking. That's good stuff. Allow it to wash and renew your mind. Or possibly take another look at Jude and ask God how he wants your life to fit into the mold of what he is teaching us in the book of Jude. God bless you. You're dismissed.